Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It's Brian House here for the Work Forward Podcast. You are tuning in to the Makery Network, a series of shows that is based around people like you who like to sit around and make stuff, or you do it for a living, or you have a workshop, or you're just creative, or you're just a little bit off, and you enjoy listening to people who are a little bit off also, like myself. Uh, Today, I am not alone. I am in my workshop, but I am joined by somebody on this episode. His name is Scott Wilkerson. He's a friend of mine. He lives here in in Florida near me, and uh, we have a sordid past. We've known each other for a long time, and if uh, we'll get into more of why that that is, but we're going to. I'm going to introduce him so he can kind of come on and just say hi and see what's up, and then we're going to talk about today's theme of the show is going to be inspiration because I have been struggling to find things that inspire me and I want to find out what inspires Scott and what we can do to rekindle or assist you in rekindling your inspiration for your work and whatever you've got going on creatively in your workshops and studios. So Mr. Scott, say hi. Hi, Mr. Brian. So how you uh, doing? You know, I'm doing good. Long time listener, first time caller. You know? <laughs> so, so tell uh, you want to give the backstory on how we know each other and what the connection is. Oh, okay. So I don't have to go back into. Oh, okay. So I don't have to go back to. So it was 1978. My mom was in a hospital. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah none of that. We so, we don't need to go that far back. You can go if you want. We can we can go as far back as your conception if you'd like. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't, I don't really think I want to go there. 
I'm pretty sure the audience will appreciate us not going there. Um, yeah. So, so a couple years back, um, well, okay. Back to 2012, I got a divorce, started watching a lot more YouTube, started watching a lot of fishing shows and technical mechanical shows and different stuff like that, that are, that are on YouTube to keep everybody busy and ended up coming across your channel and saw you going to the beach with your kids and the boat and got interested, started following you and you, you kept my attention and I was wanting to get a boat and especially a Key West boat, which you owned at the time. And so I started kind of following you through and, and bouncing around and saw you fixing the wolf and doing different things. And then saw that you had changed the channel up and actually had a, a shop space going on and was working on a Harley, which I had a Harley Sportster as well. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of connections between what you were doing and stuff that I had, stuff that I was doing, things like that. So you kept my interest. And then I knew you'd moved into the new shop space, and you know we're trying to figure out what you were going to do, how you were going to fit it out. And that's when I contacted you and said, "Hey, I got some interesting tools that I think might be able to help you." And so therefore, um, you and I started talking, planned a trip, and I ended up driving two hours down to you with a. 12, a six by 12 trailer full of tools. And yeah. So, so you're like responsible for me, basically it, it, in, in a lot of ways. And I've talked about this in the past on, on different uh, episodes and in on YouTube uh, about the, you being the catalyst for moving me more towards an, uh, the machining and working with metal, even though that's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know what direction I would take it. And when you helped me, obviously, by bringing me these tools, it sort of set the the standard, you know, for my for what I was about ready to embark on, which was about a year ago, really. Um, you know, YouTube is this monster, right? You you get on there, and then this. And and by the way, if you're ever wondering if you can change your niche on YouTube, you can. It's a long journey. Uh, you will lose a lot of subscribers initially. But then the the pendulum will swing the other way, uh, and just like that, on uh, it's I'm sure it's just really similar on Instagram as well. But you will have this core audience of people who follow you because of you, not necessarily because of what you're doing. Um, those those people are definitely going to be there. They're going to follow you for what you're doing as well. But uh, guys like Scott follow me because or uh, followed me back then because we identified with each other so much, even though I didn't know he existed. It was only until later down the road where we would connect on a on a personal level and on a tooling level where we would discover that we were really similar in a lot of ways. We had a lot of things that were kind of the same. And I like to, you know, my take on social media, I like to look at it like I'm building relationships with people. I'm doing that. And um, that was the whole point of this. And to have somebody near me go, oh, hey, hey, I've got all these tools. I've got these things that could totally assist you in your uh, progression of what you want to do on YouTube. Scott understood that, saw what I was up to and went, hey, I want to help you and I'll deliver them and I'll show you how to use them and I'll set them up for you or we'll do whatever um, because he, his life was shifting from, you know, being a maker into, you know, I, you, you had a child, I think. Right. I mean, that was kind of what shifted you. you you're shifting careers and then you were shifting into dad uh, fatherhood and being a dad and all of that. So it was like perfect timing because I wouldn't own a mill or a lathe if it wasn't for you, Scott. So thank you. And I appreciate you. 
Well, and thank I appreciate you, sir. the connection we made. Yeah, of course. And I, and I know Sarah's going to be listening, so let me just make this very clear. I take no responsibility. I take all the credit, but I take no responsibility. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what do you need that for? And like, mean, this is like about a year ago. You're texting me the photos of everything. And I'm like, oh, man, he's got a mill. Oh, he's got a lathe. And like, I'm laying in bed and I'm like looking at him. And she's like, what does that do? Well, you don't need that. You're not going to you're never going to do anything with that. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so cool, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think we could just blame you all together. I mean, that's fine by me. I mean, come on. It's, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, my wife would completely back you up because 2012, I got a divorce. Um, 2013, my wife and I had, had actually met the end of the end of 2012 and started talking and then started dating. And it was kind of a whirlwind thing that we, we just hit it off. I mean, I just, I found that I found my person. And so we ended up getting married in 2014, had our daughter in 2015 and all of the stuff, all of the, the tools and everything kind of, she, she got stuck with them. They came in the marriage with me and, um, you know, it's, it's been up and down. I lived in apartments all my life um, growing up. So all of my stuff was at my grandmother's house in like a one car garage. And so let me, let me give a little backstory real quick to explain why I had some of this stuff in the first place. So like 94, I got my first tool set from my dad, um, started driving. It was around the time I was 16, started hanging out with friends that had lowered vehicles and stereo systems and all kinds of stuff. And of course I got hooked. So I ended up getting more and more tools and building stereo systems and starting to help people with doing stuff to their vehicles. And we started a local car and truck club and just had a ton of fun through like 96, 97, 98. And, uh, and it kept going into the, the new millennium and I kept gaining tools and gaining tools and buying more stuff. And, and I was packing this one, this little one car garage and as I, as I started doing more and more of vehicles, I found that I needed like spacers and things. So I decided, you know what, it would be great for me to get a lathe and a mill and a couple of things like that, that I can make stuff for myself, you know, and, 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 and customize things to my liking where I need it. <clears throat> so I ended up buying the lathe and the mill. Um, I got the mill from a guy in Clearwater, um, back around 2008, I think it was. And right around the same time, got the, the, the lathe from a lady that was selling it over in Cheval, um, which is a, a fancy gated community over here in, in Tampa. And I, I guess it was her father-in-law had, had owned all the stuff and she had a whole garage full of stuff when I went over there and um, she had no idea. She just, she knew that, you know, there were tools and I had to kind of fight with her to get the box of change gears and everything that went with the lathe um, and bought the lathe for 250 bucks, bought the mill for like 700 bucks. And I got incredible deals on both of them pulled them into the one car garage and then ended up moving to Atlanta for my job. So everything just kind of went on hold. And then when I got back, uh, my ex-wife's uh, grandfather had passed away. So I ended up inheriting a bunch of his old tools. So by the time it was done, this one car garage was so packed that you couldn't even move through it. You had to move stuff just to get to, to one thing and then move it all back to get to another thing. And then anyway, so I ended up with my wife in 2013 we got married. We moved into a rental uh, house and it had a three car garage. So I finally got to move everything down there and started trying to get it set up, started weeding through stuff, but still wasn't quite able to get to where I wanted to be because I found out about the joys of living in an HOA <laughs> that you can't make any noise. You can't do some of the stuff that I really wanted to do, which is make noise. Um, and we ended up finding a house, bought the house. It's got a two car garage. 
and it just, there was not enough room. And the days of me doing car and truck stuff for money and everything else was kind of over that it ended back in like 2008 or so. And, um, I just, I decided my, my wife kept asking me about everything. She was like, what, what's this do? Why do you have it? Why do you still have it? Are you using it? When's the last time you used it? Have you used it in 10 years, five years, a year, <laughs> you know, the usual questions we get. And, you know, I, I couldn't say, yeah, I used it a year ago or five years ago even. So I knew I had to start getting rid of stuff and it just, it worked out perfectly with you doing the changes to your channel and me seeing the new shop space and what you were doing. And it was like, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to contact this guy, Brian, and see if he's interested in this stuff. I said, you know, because when it comes to YouTube, I've been wanting to get on YouTube and do my own channel for a long time, but I ended up being basically a stalker. <laughs> I just stalk other people's channels like, oh, so cool. I wish I could do that or wish I could, you know, start my own channel doing it. And so when I saw you doing that stuff, I told her, I said, I'm going to get a hold of Brian and see if he wants this stuff. And and it was great. The conversations we had and then going down there and getting to see the shop space. So it's, it's kind of cool for me being in the shop space before so now seeing the shop space as you're going through doing videos and seeing the equipment being used and everything i mean it's just it's amazing so and and i'm i'm extremely happy for you dude that you have i mean it's not one of those things that oh you lucked out you have busted your butt to get there but what you're doing is absolutely amazing so i applaud you well thank you man i appreciate that i you know when i look back on that time it doesn't feel like a year ago it feels like a long time you know like five years ago that I right. was just moving into the space, but it really was, you know, really was like a year or it was November, I think. So it was a little less than a year. <laughs> um, but you know, I, one actually, of the things actually that, it was, Ju it was July when I brought the equipment down. Oh, was it? Oh, it was July. Yeah, it was okay. That, it was so, like, yeah, yeah, my very beginning of July. All right. That makes more sense. So yeah, yeah. So the, at that time the space was bare. I mean, there wasn't a lot in here just at my workbench right. and, maybe some cabinets or whatever it really wasn't many tools in here. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I definitely knew that I wanted to get into metalworking and customizing my motorcycle and rebuilding things like that. But little did I know it would take me down the road that I'm on now, which, you know, it just drastically changed the trajectory of my pro professional career. And it's because of people like you who believed in me and then took action and said like, Hey, I want to help. I want to do this, you know, and, uh, I wouldn't have had that had it not been for YouTube and connecting us and that kind of thing. So I'm glad that I could inspire you and you inspire me because I just, honestly, I would have never thought I even made a video about the, the mill and it titled it, uh, uh, the, the tool I never wanted, or, you know, the, one of my favorite tools that I never wanted. And it's because, uh, I never knew I wanted a mill, but when you brought me one and I saw what it could do. And now of course I watch like, I got sucked into Adam Savage's tested channel, uh, and started watching his work. He's a Bridgeport mill, which is, you know, like, I think it's like a knee mill where he, he can make a lot of different things and it's got DRO and auto feed and all that. And of course, uh, you know, my eyes get all big and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh man, it'd be sweet to have one of those. Even though the, the Enco, which is the mill that you brought me, it, it does all that same stuff. It's just not automated. And it gives you a good primer on what a mill is for and what you can do with it. And it's a good uh, beginning thing. But on, honestly, it does so many things. I feel like I can make anything. I could sit down and if I knew what I was doing, which I, I'm getting better at it, but I don't know a lot uh, about milling and machining, but I'm still working on that. It's like 
dude, if you really wanted to make that, you can make it. And I'm, I got, I don't know if you watch Adam Savage at all, but the, the, um, some of his videos, like they're really long and it's not my topic. So I don't watch them, but like recently, um, I watched the, him recreate the gun, the Samaritan, which is the gun that Hellboy carried in the Hellboy right. films. And he, this dude, I mean, and granted, uh, Adam is very handy. He, he can do anything. He can make anything really. Uh, but if you watch him use that mill and create out of aluminum, brass and wood, uh, an exact replica of the Samaritan and then talk about it. It was so inspiring to me to watch somebody, you know, that this is the reason why Adam has been successful in his career, I think is because I'm like a, I'm a big YouTube nerd like you. I, I, I watch YouTube every day and, um, you know, I'm not a stalker, but I was for a long time, but I still stalk, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I still right. go on like these bigger channels, you know, and I watch what they're doing. And then um, so when you watch a video like with Adam, he's shooting all of this with a with no camera person because of covid. So he's doing it all himself and he's created this these long form videos that if you know anything about YouTube, you would think that they would not be successful, you know, that uh, nobody would watch them because the algorithm wouldn't push them out because of his notoriety. I would say that's what makes the, you know, his videos get uh, pushed out to the algorithm. You know, he's got a lot of subscribers, but if you watch this Samaritan build video where he machines that gun, uh, those videos have half a million plus views on each one. And I think they're close to an hour a piece and it's a trilogy. So, you, you know, we're talking three hours of making and him learning how to use the mill, by the way, because he's only had, he's had that mill for less time than I've had mine. And, it, you know, he, he's not a machinist. He's, he, he, he opens up about that and talks about that in his videos. He's like, I'm a, I'm a aesthetic machinist. I can make things look good, but technically I'm not very good at, you know, fitment and making sure they, but this gun requires you because of the hinging system and the way it clicks into place and all that. He had to be uh, fairly technical when he was building this stuff. Dude, I was so blown away by the end product when he finished that gun. I, and by the way, like I said, it's so inspiring to watch somebody take so much time to figure something out and then film it. And then share it with the world because in the comments, if you dig down in and you start reading what most people like about his videos, it's him. It's literally him. It, they, they like what he's doing. They enjoy his processes, but they also love to watch him discover and create. And that inspires them to go off and do something and learn something new. And what you and I have together is like a, kind of a similar story. It's it's like one person choosing a path, not knowing how to get there. Someone else is inspired by that path, sees it, and then says, I can do that or I can help. That, to me, is like the most beautiful goddamn thing on the planet. I just think that's the whole reason why social media was created. I just I absolutely love it, and I absolutely applaud you for having the balls, now that I know you more. I know that you're just like that in general, but you have the balls <laughs> to like, you know, 
pick up the phone and go, hey, uh, I want to call you. Uh, how do I get a hold of you? You know, <laughs> like uh, uh, <laughs> most people like me included will go like, I want to reach out to Adam and like send him a grinder because, I, you know, he uses a two by 72, but it's like a hand built thing. Like, I totally want to do that. Right. But I don't have the balls. <laughs> so, well, I'm like, you know, the other thing, damn. The other thing about Adam that I love is, you know, watching him on Mythbusters for all those years. And I know that's, you know, good, good following. That's, that's part of his reason he's got such a good following. Um, but he also is all about utility because I was watching one of his, one of his recent shows where he made, um, a set of drawers for his tooling for his lathe, I think it was. And, you know, he I does just a good job. That. It's lined, great. Yeah. He lines it all up. But then when the drawers don't fit, he's just like, oh, okay. And he pulls out a plane and starts playing in a little bit. He's like, all right, it fits now. <laughs> and just, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't the prettiest thing when it was all finished and, and said and done, but it, the utility of it, you know, it was like, I needed this. I made it. I built it. Here it is. And it works. And I thought that and was he spent awesome all that because- time. I did too. I, and he spent all that time making sure that the grain structure for the faces of the drawers would line up when he was finished. And then he painted it red at the end. So he didn't see any of that anyway. Right. And he was just like, ah, who gives a shit? It's good. It works. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and cause like I'm watching it with Sarah and she's like, it doesn't look very good. Like at the end, like she's like, they, the drawers don't look like they fit. And I'm like, they don't, but they work. You know, that's the thing. And right. I agree with you on that, by the way. That's the reason why we watch Adam on Tested because he's like, I'm going to get this effing thing built and that's going to be that and it's going to work and it's going to, and I love his little shop. I mean, it's, it reminds me a lot of my studio. It's like mm-hmm. he's just got shit stacked so high all the way up the back of the walls and everywhere else, but everything else is labeled. He's got drawers for everything, and but uh, I didn't want to like you know turn this into a whole like you know Adam Savage uh, you know stroke <laughs> session, but you know I love I love him and I love what he's doing on YouTube, and I love it because he's taking to the medium as if you know granted he's got a slingshot because of MythBusters like you said, but it's like he's taken to the medium just like everybody else did, and he's doing long form videos you know, almost an hour a piece that are getting half a million to a million views. And that, that gives me hope because I do a lot of long form videos as well. I do some shorts, mostly right. short stuff, but like this last, this next video I'm putting out is it, it's not even finished. It's 47 minutes. So, yeah. Well, you know, and, and it's funny cause I joke around about stalking people on YouTube because I've been watching YouTube for so long and seeing all the videos and kind of, kind of living vicariously through other people, you know, like, you know, people that had boats and could go fishing when I couldn't. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me see what, let me see what they're doing. Maybe I'll get some tips. So when I can finally go and like you and I were talking about Marty Zoffinger up here in, in Ruskin, you know, I watched Marty for a long time and, you know, I watched some of his interviews where he's talking about where he got his start and stuff. And it's funny because YouTube has changed so much since when it first started. I remember putting a YouTube video up back in 2008 for my boss at the company that I was working for, the construction company. And it was literally just to host the video so we could put it somewhere else up on our wiki site. And I got to thinking about it after I listened to Marty and Marty was like, yeah, so I have family that are back in New York and I needed a a way to to put videos up without being able to send them through email. So I started putting videos up and at first, you know, they were private and nobody could see them. And then evidently they went public and people started liking them so much that he kind of got the idea, well, let me, let me do more. So he started doing more of the videos on the kayak and the DIY kayak and it kind of caught on and, and now he's got a huge following, does a rental uh, kayak rental place down uh, down on the river down here and stuff. And it's crazy how much YouTube's changed now to the point that 
like like you and I were talking one time about you know that I I was kind of like psyched to meet you and psyched to meet Marty because I'd seen you guys so much on uh, through video on YouTube. It's the medium's kind of changed in a way because it went from being a place for just anybody to kind of put their videos up, which they still do. But now you actually have YouTube stars, you know, where it's like if you see somebody like Casey Neistat or somebody, you're like, oh, my God, there's Casey, <laughs> you know, because you see all of his videos on YouTube and everybody pretty much knows him. I mean, you can you can see even in his videos where everybody's, you know, hollering his name, waving at him and stuff. So it's it's cool to see that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of people still out there that are doing things with their hands and making things and building things still and, you know, learning those skills because, a lot of those skills are not getting passed down and the older, the older generation that have all those skills, those machining skills and the, uh, you know, the, the skills to be able to work with, um, sheet metal, you know, to, to, to work sheet metal and take dents out and take, you know, um, and rework it versus just buying a new fender or buying a new part or, you know, cutting part of the car out and welding, you know, a replacement piece in that stuff. You know, I mean, how many, how many people do you know that do leading on sheet metal nowadays? Very, very few, if any. So it's it's good to see that a lot of channels are still out there with with people learning the skills and still passing them on and in a way passing them on through YouTube now. What I think is interesting too is um, there's these older generations of guys who have done the work with their hands for so many years who are making videos on YouTube. Granted, the production value is you know not always the greatest, but Right. They're creating content on YouTube that is really like what you described, passing on these skill sets. And because I think they know the long game, they know that they don't have much time left. You know, if you're in your late 60s, 70s and say you're a shipbuilder or a knife maker or a blacksmith, you know, what are you going to leave behind? You know, and, and you, you, you may have grandkids who might be sort of interested, you know, in what your craft is or your hobby is, but you, you know, the chances are your family doesn't give a shit, you know, and that, and that's cool too. Uh, I feel like, and I've said this in the past is that my YouTube channel hopefully will become an archive of, you know, my progression as a person who is creative, business minded and a maker so that when my my children's children are around and they want to know a little bit about me, they can go on and watch what I was up to back in the 2000s, you know. And uh, right. I think that it, it, if you look at it from a perspective of I can watch a guy in Scotland do traditional Scottish blacksmithing. And, he, you know, he learned from his father and his father's father learned from him. It, it's really an awesome way for us as the human race to inspire each other and move, move the, like if think about it in terms like this, a guy like Alex Steele, right? He's young, he's business minded. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he has some fame and notoriety, but let's say like four or five years ago, he didn't, but he learned a skill because he saw somebody doing it and he wanted to get into it. And then he made it cool. You know, he he mm -hmm. made it progressive. He made a lot of young people really want to learn that skill. Right. And uh, he was the liaison. And to me, he created an entire economy around it also, because now you've got guys 
who would never even consider buying a grinder or a hammer or a handmade knife, they're now out there spending those dollars on tools to make it happen, or they're buying the end product. That economy is being built solely based upon the inspiration that they have brought to YouTube because people like to be entertained. They get sucked in. And just like you and me, who were out there watching guys like Zoffinger, I found Zoffinger because of the kayak uh, video he made that got all that notoriety back in the day. And that was like, you know, when you watch him make the, the, the pontoons and all that stuff and all the mounts out of coffee cans and everything else. Mm-hmm. That inspired me to do the same thing. And I went out and right. did it and spent money in a kayak and went kayak fishing and ultimately ended up being a boat captain and all that stuff. Zoffinger was one of the one of the guys that did that for me. And he was up near you, you know. And right. then now Zoffinger is doing his own uh he's made he's doing one of my bucket list items, which is the Great Loop. He's preparing for that. Which right, I think yes. is awesome. Yeah. You know. And I, I think to myself, like, we're all kind of finding each other. We're all watching these people do this stuff. And, yes, you get notoriety. You get some Internet fame or whatever it is. Um, you know, people recognize me in, in front of the Harbor Freight tool store and uh, <laughs> in, the, in the drill bit aisle at Home Depot. I get noticed from time to time. And uh, it's kind of a fun feeling because, you, you, you know, you get to talk to somebody who's got the same passions as you do. And uh, I love that. I think it's fantastic. So um, I'm a big fan of sharing, even though you stick your neck out and you create something that somebody might call stupid or dumb. I get, you know, I get a lot of negative comments on YouTube from time to time uh, from people. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's it's like one out of 50 is negative, you know. So it's like, well, cool, man. I I got to meet all these great people and, and, and and learn something in the process. And by the way collect a whole shit ton of awesome effing tools and, you know, make anything I want with my kids. Right. So, and then they get inspired to like, Oh dad, you got the lathe up and running, blah, 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 you know, and all this stuff. And like, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm having a grand old time learning, you know, you, you know, that it's, it's lathe is badass. by the way. I love that thing. It's a sad fact of life, but the negativity is going to come, you know, I mean, Marty's gotten his share of it. You know, he, he started out doing the DIY stuff and, and now he's sponsored by, I think it's Pelican. And he's, he talks about it on some of his videos about the fact that he's, he's getting, you know, um, slammed and getting some hatred and stuff over the fact that he's, you know, not doing the DIY stuff anymore. And he's, he's got these kayaks coming to him and they're sponsoring him and all. Which is a shame because he worked so hard to get to where he is and they seem to be missing that point. You know, it's just all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're a sellout. But I mean, you know, that happens in music that happens all over the place. And, you know, I don't I don't remember who it was. I think it was this dude from Naples told me one time when I was down there visiting his shop space that, you know, don't be afraid of the haters because the haters are your biggest fans. and They just don't realize it. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. You told you told me that, and it <laughs> stuck with me. I came home and told my wife, I was like, you know, I was like, I got a new way to look at the haters, and she's like, why? And I'm like, they're they're your biggest fans. They just don't realize. And I'm like, they, I'm like, I had this talk with Brian, and he told me about the metrics on one of his videos, and it was all haters coming on and hating on the video, but they were they were blowing the video up and they were sharing it, and they were doing all this stuff, and I never thought about it from that angle until you told me that, and and I had even had her laughing about it. Um, in fact, we, it was funny cause we had a long conversation when I, when I got back from bringing those tools to you and she says, so what happened? How do you like them? And I was like, Oh I was like, you liked them. I was like, and it was funny cause when I dropped the stuff off to you, I, I saw you eyeball in the mill and like, yeah, yeah. All right. And I saw you look at the lathe and it was kind of like, yeah, okay. 
And I told her, I said, I said, just wait. I said, he's going to figure some stuff out about the mill. I said, and eventually he's going to take another look at the lathe. And when he figures out all the stuff he can do with the lathe and then combining the two, I said, he's going to go nuts. Watch. And so I told her the other day, I said, yeah, I said, I said, check this out. And I, I, I showed her the videos that you had, the little clips you had sent me of getting the, the lathe up and running. I said, I told you, I said, just, just keep watching. She started laughing. It took a year and a half to get that thing, you know, up off the ground. It's so damn heavy. And then, you know, I had to build a stand for it. So there's like these like progressions in owning a tool like that because you don't prioritize, you know, you just go, it's a lathe, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. I've, I've never right. at, up until this point in my life, I've never needed a lathe on it, you know, so I want to make sure I get this running and this built and this, that. And then um, I, so I built the stand, I got it up on the stand. I had to have somebody help me lift it up. And uh, and then. Uh, by the way, I not to brag, but I've, I've lifted that thing like three or four times by myself. So, uh, Dude, I <laughs> I thought about it. I could probably do it, but I'd, I would f- most likely injure myself. That thing is really heavy. I would say it's like oh. got to be close to 200 pounds. I would it, think. Yeah, Even it, like when it's, it's tore down. It's it's a back killer. I had to lift it off the, yeah. the bench that I have here by myself because my wife could not help me. And I was like, all right. I was like, so if I go down, <laughs> just call 911 extremely quickly. She's like, okay. Yeah. And it's not just heavy. It's awkward. It's like, it's yep. you know, the, you got the ways that go out away from the chuck and the and the the spindle and everything so you're you're just it's just like not a situation where if you caught if something were to catch and you were to you know the weight were to shift you'd be screwed you would have to drop it or or fall you know or whatever so i didn't want to do that but the 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 cool thing about that lathe and you are the one that brought this up to me was not only did you give me the lathe and all the change gears and the tool holder you know stuff but also inside of the box, you brought me a couple of Kennedy old Kennedy machinists uh, tool toolboxes. Mm-hmm. Inside of there was all the tooling, you know, that the guy had made um, from high speed steel. Right, and you know, if you you go online and you look at you know what people are using for lathe tooling, and I did not realize this, but a lot of people make their own tooling. You know, it's not mm-hmm. uh, if you've got a chunk of like tool steel, like I have a bunch of like A two in here, I could heat treat it. And uh, grind it in a way that would uh, make it a single point cutting tool, which would be what you would use on a, in a lathe. And you don't need carbide. You don't need all these like real expensive, you know, things. It's nice to have, you know, as I would later find out. But you, <laughs> right. you, you, you know, but then you, you start cutting things with this. Well, I'm pulling these uh, tools out and I'm like these are stamped, you know, they've got the guy's name on them. And then, uh, the date, like one of them says 1941. Now from my understanding, I think from running the serial number, this, this one was built in 45 or 46. And so the tooling probably most likely came, you know, from another tool, uh, you know, some of those pieces from another tool. But if you think about the, that piece of steel I'm holding in my hand, uh, it I think you said this was think about how cool that is. That was made before, um, uh, before, uh, Pearl Harbor, right? You yeah. know, before the end of world war two, this machine was being built and right. gosh, you wrap your mind around that. And then, you know, we, it's now in my shop and I'm doing something with it. It makes you feel, it makes you feel your own mortality a little bit. You know, the, the guy that was standing behind that thing and using it, you know, most likely is no longer with us. Uh, and, 
you know, the tooling is all part of his legacy, things that he built. And then, of course, the story that I make up now in my head that I'm now looking through this toolbox and digging through it going, wonder why he made this tool. What did he what was he going to do with it? And then you find sawdust, you know, like somewhere inside of the lathe. And you're like, oh, this guy was cutting wood. And then and then you and then you find like a handmade um a wood turning post where you could yep. uh, say uh, turn a pen or something like it was all handmade, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, if I ever showed a video of me turning wood on this lathe, can you imagine the <laughs> negative explosion from all of the machinists all over the world who watch this and go, you are the biggest asshole on the planet, you know, turning wood on a metal lathe. <laughs> sacrilege. <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah, sacrilege, you bastard. And, you know, I can just hear it now, man. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. But such a cool, such a cool piece. And then I'm thinking, all right, so I'm going to take this thing apart and I'm going to restore it. You know, uh, James over at Redbeard Ops, he uh, he just got an atlas, I think, and um, which is basically – a, a carbon copy of this of this mm-hmm. lathe and um weird timing that he's doing his restoration and i'm kind of figuring mine out and uh, <laughs> but he took his all apart and 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 decided to do a full restoration but i can't get myself to do it with this thing i just love the patina on the damn thing you know and i argued with myself fine. over that too yeah, when I had it, I argued with myself over that. I was like, am I going to take it apart and completely restore it? Or am I just going to clean it up and leave it? Because it tells a story. You know, there's it, there's no telling what all has been made on that on that lathe before. Yeah, you're. I'm still finding chips on the inside <laughs> of it from whoever was working with it, you know, before. And it's to me, I'm like, well, I can't take the paint off of this thing. I mean, it's. It's just got such a great feel. So I did end up like cleaning up the hand wheels and stuff a little bit and threw, threw those into the sandblaster just to kind of, you know, um, get a little bit of the grime off of those things. But then I'm thinking to myself, I just love the fact that his old cutting oil and, you know, any projects that were done on this, it's kind of like all the remnants are still there. And I just, the romance of it really. And I, and I, you know, the older you get, you you start to look at things a whole lot different, you know. As you get into your forties, I'm sure you can uh, relate to this. Is that mm-hmm. you start thinking, you start you stop removing the romance from situations, you know, and 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 you start applying like what your dad used to do, you know, like well that that's a great looking car. Oh yeah, oh you want to buy a '78 Camaro? Oh yeah, well those are great and all, but you know now it needs brakes and insurance, and you know the engine needs to be rebuilt. Blah, blah. and you're like you just took all the fun out of it, you asshole. But you know what? You're he's right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, when I look at tools like this, and I think as long as they function, you know that to me. Is it is the most important thing now? If it was covered in rust and the ways weren't true, then it would be a different story. But I don't know right. if you saw on um, I think I don't remember where I posted. This must have been Instagram where I took a dial indicator to the that little piece of steel that I turned. Yeah, I saw that. It, it's friggin' dead to nuts. It, yep. It's not even off a thousandth of an inch. So it's still good. The bearings are still good. It probably was just a hobby lathe. You know, nobody really did much with it. So it probably didn't see a ton of hours. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, it was it was a cool little piece when I picked it up. And like I said, I I had started doing a business back around 2003 where I was actually uh, 
getting into doing uh, lowered trucks and air ride suspension. I installed a bunch of air ride suspension and sheet metal work and different things like that. So, and one of the things was a, a buddy of mine came over with a, a, a Toyota Tacoma and on the front ball joints, you could actually flip them. And he had bought this kit for like 200 bucks from somebody and it had the directions, it had everything. And he's like, Hey, I want you to flip it for me. And I'm like, why didn't you just do it? And he's like, well, cause you have all the tools and you know what you're doing you probably do it faster. So I said, all right. So we started getting into it. We took the part, the front of his truck apart. And the, the thing that I saw, and this was one of the things that really kind of kicked me into wanting a lathe and, and a mill to be able to make stuff is the kit comes with, you know, some bigger size nuts and some different things that, that we needed, you know, um, for the truck. But the the spacers that were needed to flip the ball joint ended up just being like stacks of, of regular wash uh, or regular uh, nuts that the guy used. Basically, you're going to have like an inch and a half worth of space. So you just put these nuts in there and then you crank down on the bolt and, and you know, the bottom nut and, you know, crunch these down in the middle. And I'm thinking to myself, that is not only does it look, you know, horrible, but, you know, it's it's such a I mean, why didn't why didn't they just make spacers that were that size to send with, you know? And the more I thought about that, I said, you know, I need something that I can, I can turn around and make spacers on the fly or make things that I need, you know, that when something quite doesn't quite fit on one, you know, it's got like a couple millimeters that it needs. I can just go shim something off and, you know, make a shim. And, and so that's why I ended up buying the stuff. And then, you know, the economy went downhill. I ended up moving to Atlanta. I went through a divorce, just life changed. And, you know, like you're, like you were saying, getting into your forties, seems like every 10 years or so, 20, 30, 40 I, I kind of have a change of heart on different things and start seeing things a little differently and, you know, start slowing down and, you know, romanticizing certain things, but then taking the, the romance off of certain other things. Like I'm, I'm no longer as into the lowered vehicles. Um, you know, I, I ended up finally getting an 88 Mustang for me to fix up. I'm going to put air right on it, but I'm not as into the lowered trucks and stuff as I was before. Um, so things have changed. So now I just want to get my, my shop space set up so I can actually get out there, get into it and actually use it. So I've actually got more tools, which we've talked about that are going to be coming down to you, which I pose different things to you. And you've, you've, you've already kind of, you know, got that one eye, um, eyebrow up in the air going, that sounds interesting. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, but I got some cool stuff here. I think that uh, is going to work out good in your shop space also. Yeah. I think, uh, what, you know, we're the catalyst for the press project, which I'm still in the middle of, of figuring out. Um, was that you have some hydraulic rams up there mm-hmm. that uh, I'll be able to employ and put into this project. So it's like, you know, and at one time you thought about building a press, which is the reason why you have those there. And, and you know, right. I, it's like that to me makes, you know, makes the project even more fun because, you know, you're kind of involved in it and, and uh, you know, you'll get to see the fruits of that thing come together as a result of our work together, which is, which should be pretty cool. By the way, I got all the I-beam waiting on that. I just haven't had time. I, my, my life has turned upside down with work and everything else. So, uh, you know, uh, f- for those of you who don't know, I don't do YouTube and my shop stuff like full time. It's like, I do it on my off time and uh <clears throat> which recently has not had i've not had as much as i would hope but uh and and you know the other thing too is getting back to the theme of what we've been talking about is um you know putting together the grinder project uh, you know the whole point of that was 
that I was inspired to make knives. And so I started making knives. I learned how to heat treat steel. I, you know, grind and all that. And then, you know, of course me being the guy that I am, I was like, they, they, I can't get a grinder that I want to do certain things. And I wish it was bigger and I wish it could tilt. And I wish it did this and that and go in reverse and track better and all that stuff. So, you know, I spent the last year of my life basically building a tool that would assist me to make a better knife. And then, you know, what did I do? I didn't make a whole lot of knives. I made a ton of grinders and I sold a ton of grinders because of the following <laughs> that, that, that project, you know, kind of came, uh, it, it, it's like, I, I said it in the past, but it's like, you know, your, your path is yet to be revealed. And, you know, all you can do is follow your heart and follow your inspiration. And I felt like that was like the project that really made me see, commerce on the internet differently you know building a grinder and then making it something that you could tell somebody on the other side of the planet how to build it and then support it and tell them like hey this is what i would do and this is how i change it or whatever it becomes a whole thing you're like wow this really is possible you know and <laughs> and um i could I, I was like kind of blown away by that and then all of a sudden i now own a tooling company and i'm selling tooling and I'm doing that in a way that is different than my competitors where um, I'm the front man, but I'm also the designer and the support system and also the customer service. And, you know, um, I think that that's not the way business has been done in the States or in the world, you know, for a long time it used to be that way. But now with the new, you know, the Internet being so we're a so global society now. Um, you know, I can send these files to somebody over in Germany. They can go to a laser cutter, cut them out and sell them in Europe. OK, great. Let's do that. All right. Sure. Um, you know, we, we're doing the same thing in Australia. OK, great. Let's do that. And I just think to myself, wow, how did that happen? Where did I you know, I'm, I had a David Byrne moment like uh, from the talking <laughs> heads, you know, I'm like, how did I get here? You know, like that whole thing. And right. um, I realized that if I hadn't been inspired by so many amazing makers who now, by the way, are my friends and people who I had watched on YouTube, who, by the way, I'm now doing collaborations with and I'm working closely with. I don't think any of this would have ever happened. I would have just sat with my hands in my pocket. You know, I would have just, well, you know, this is my life. I'm a, I'm a computer guy. I'm a tech guy, or I like to build things, but Hey, what can I do now? Uh, yeah, start this or do this. No, I did. I made the decision because I was inspired by those around me doing amazing things and, and, and creating things that I felt like I wanted to be a part of. Um, and so YouTube was an enormous, uh, played an enormous role in that Instagram as well. And, and then of course now the monster is alive and well and running around and I'm going, all right, I got to feed this thing now, you know, and, and what do I do with it? I ran out of inspiration this summer, you know, with COVID hitting and all the things happening around me that I just felt like were out of my control. I quickly realized that I'm not, I'm not as receptive to those inspirations, you know, those things. And, um, I needed a swift kick in the ass, which I got uh, like a, a few weeks ago when I just like woke up one day and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do things differently. And I just did it. I just stood up and said, I'm going to get myself out of this funk. I'm going to create more content. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to turn things around. We're going to make a difference. We're going to help others. We're going to make the world a better place. And we're going to make some cool shit. 
while we do it. Right. Yeah, I've, I've exactly. learned through the years that, uh, you know, you can pick the direction, but life's going to show you the path, you know, because there's been, there's been so many times that I've picked a direction and said, I'm going to do this. And then life has shown me, eh, not, not, not quite, you know, you're going to go this direction. You're going to go that direction. You're going to do this. You're going to do that instead. And it was, it was like with you when you started doing the grinders last year, um, you know, I think you made a wise choice. And this is, this is one of the things I've seen a lot of people doing, including myself, you know, you find something, you, you get passionate about it, you want to do it, you want to make it the best you can. And then instead of making it better, designing it, sending it out for other people to do, a lot of people try to turn their shop into a production facility and they overwhelm themselves. It was just like when I was doing vehicle customs, when I was doing stuff for friends, it was great. As soon as I started doing it for customers and had timelines and had people paying me, which, you know, the money at first was great. You're seeing the green and going sweet. And then afterward, you're like, but I got a deadline now and I've got a customer that's going to come and kind of critique this. Whereas my friend would be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, we, we, we chipped this or whatever. That's fine. You know, and I'm not a problem because you weren't paying. They weren't paying for it anyway. And they just wanted it done and they couldn't do it. Now, when it's a paying customer, it's different. And I think that was one of the wisest things I think that I heard you say last, I think it was last year, or the beginning of this year, that you weren't going to, you decided not to go down being a production facility. You actually wanted to continue to prototype and do things, um, you know, and, and, and see where you could go from there. And it's, it's funny that you started doing the grinders because I got caught up just like everybody else did the last couple of years with the whole forged and fire and making knives and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, you, you have friends around you, 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 you center yourself with people around you that are into the same kind of thing. So I guess that's probably part of the reason. But when Forged and Fire hit, I saw so many of my friends and, and people that I knew that all of a sudden decided I'm making knives. And all of a sudden they were either, you know, doing, uh, you know, actually going out and trying to buy Forged and stuff or they were doing, uh, you know, material takeaway and it was it was funny because I, I thought about doing it. And then, like I said, the, through the magic of HOA, <laughs> found out that there was no way I was going to be able to make the noise and do the stuff that I needed to do here to be able to do it. Um, and that's that's part of the reason I'm bringing some of the stuff that I'm bringing down to you, like the Anvil and the Nevice and stuff, stuff like that, because I, I can see you being able to do it there. And I see you eventually, you know, not only prototyping, but actually making knives and doing that stuff out of your shop space. I, I see you going there. So I'll just tell you that right now. But um, but it was funny because I wanted to do that for so long. And then it was just like, you know what? I got to back off of that and realize it's not going to happen. What do I do now? And I have like ADHD when it comes to making stuff. Um, I get lost in YouTube. And that's one of the things my wife has to kind of like, you know, she's told me, she's like, I'm going to put a timer on your computer and your phone and only allow you on YouTube for so long. Because I get lost and I'll start looking at stuff and, you know, and it's like, it's like down the rabbit hole. And all of a sudden she's like, what are you watching? Like an hour later. And I'm like, oh, this guy's making stained glass. And she's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but it's so cool. You should check this out. This looks like something. And before I can say I want to do it, she's like, no. <laughs> she's like automatically Scott, no. put down the credit card. Stop buying stained glass tools right now. Stop it. And that's exactly what she does. She's like, no, she's like, whatever it is. No, she's like, you don't need it. You're not going to use it, but I'll get lost. I have like an ADHD. And then the bad part is I get inspired by so many different things. Like, you know, I'll, I'll catch somebody may, you know, like I've started catching interest in the 3d printers. Now that I've seen um, a couple channels. In fact, I sent you a link to, to one of the guys that you already watched that was making tons of um, stuff out of 3d printing, including um, he, he made a, a arm for a, a camera. Um, which was so cool, all 
3d printed and put it all together. And, and I was, I was, I, I started getting the idea that the 3d printing and the vacuum form table and a lathe and a mill and a welder and this and that it's like, Oh my God, the, the possibilities are endless. What you could make, what you could do. And my wife's just sitting out there looking at me going, no, <laughs> whatever it is, it's yeah. in your head right now. No. <laughs> I, I think like most people don't realize, right. They think, they think when they get into a hobby and you, you know, knife making is a, a great example uh, that they don't understand the commitment it takes in uh, not the financial commitment, number one, and just buying tools. You know, you got to have a lot of different things to make it happen. And then number two, the skill set that is needed to uh, actually produce and make a knife, you know, or whatever. And so, you know, a grinder helps big time. It's not the only tool you need, uh, right. you know, that you have to have a space where you can have, you know, uh, a dusty space, a hot space, open space for a forge if you decide you want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it, 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 we all get inspired, right? We're looking at the, like, like you, I get the same thing where now I've got this big heart on because I want to, um, I'm, it got sucked into Adam's channel. So now I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to need drawers. I'm going to need, you know, a pegboard. I'm going to need all this stuff. So I'm going through and I'm researching, like, I'm going to, I want to put up a pegboard in my shop because I got all my tools in my drawers and Adam talks about in his videos, like drawers are useless. Like you shouldn't have them. Unless they're single layer tool, uh, like so. For instance, that's why, like, when you look at a toolbox, why the drawers mm-hmm. are only an inch deep, because you're you shouldn't have things stacked on top of each other. Because when right. you pull open the drawer, you should be able to find the tool right away. It should just be have its own spot and, and nothing on top or below it. That way, that you know it's organized. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, yeah, I got a lot of that going on in my shop, and I need to change this up, and I need it, you know, blah blah blah. And it's all because Adam inspired me to do so. And I, 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 I want to, you know, follow in his footsteps as a great maker, as a, as a, as a person who does things that inspires others. And that's what actually got me. I started to think about the reason why I started this journey of creating content on the internet. And it was not really to become famous or get notoriety or understood or uh, have people understand me. I think I really just enjoy inspiring others to do something with their time other than, you know, um, what a lot of us have been doing, you know, is just like satiating ourselves to um, kind of just exist on planet Earth. You know, Mm -hmm. we're moving society forward. We're doing something with and we're creating items that people will covet and they will want. And they will they will see it and they'll go, I wish I could create that. I wish I could make that. And they'll learn something new. And that will take them down their own path. Will they end up being a, a knife maker or, um, you know, somebody that works uh, uh, in woodworking or whatever, wherever that takes them, wherever they find their their bliss, you could be the catalyst because they watched you do it. Right. And then you gave them that inspiration and that's something that's beautiful. I just, to me, I, I got sucked into the, you know, the whole existential, um, there's like a lot of conflict going on in my head recently with just the world events. Thinking to myself, what could I give everyone? I can't give everyone a grinder. I can't give them my skill sets or my tools. Like I can't do that, but what could I do? I, and then I and it was Adam that when I watched him, I, I was like, holy shit, it's 
that's what he gives to the world. You know, his dad worked on Sesame Street and it was the same thing. His dad made, you know, the puppets and a lot of the, the theater sets and stuff for, for, um, Jim Henson. Right. And, um, and I, and then Adam, of course, followed in his dad's footsteps, you know, but in his own way, you know, he's not making puppets, but he's making theater in a way. And he's mm-hmm. showing people like, Hey, I can make a shitty set of drawers that'll hold all my lathe tools. And, and this is how I did it. And then talk about it. Or I can reproduce the Samaritan from the Hellboy films. Like, what's the point of that? What he already had a work, like not a working, but he had a, a he had a, a prop gun from the movie, like one that was actually used in the film. He he right. owned it, <laughs> but yet he wanted to make one. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of mind does that take to say that they want to do that? And then and on top of that, take two weeks of your life to do it. It's the challenge. Inspiring. I think, you know? man. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah definitely well, the challenge. Well, and then think about where he comes from with the Mythbusters thing, and then think about, you know, uh, Grant and uh, uh, Jamie, you know, and different ones of them work for ILM and all kinds of different places out there that, you know, they they made something out of nothing. You know, I mean, especially with Star Wars and everything else. I mean, they were they a lot of those guys worked on a lot of those sets and. You know, and, and look at what we have now with Star Wars and all the rest of the movies where they made the props, they made the backgrounds, they made the guns, they made all this different stuff. So, you know, talk about inspirational. Um, you know, they were the ones that worked on making those fantasies come to life on, you know, the big screen for all of us. And that so, turned and into a huge economy of itself right there. You know, if right. you look at that, those those guys all played a role in becoming the catalyst for inspiration for a lot of other filmmakers and a lot of merchandise sold. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had every single star Wars toy I could convince my parents to buy. And I was out (laughs) with my lightsaber, you know, chopping down trees and, you know, doing that whole thing. That's the basis of inspiration. You know, those are all things that, you know, planted a seed in our minds and said, Hey, why don't you go do this? And now we're doing things as grown adults mm-hmm. that are that is contributing to society instead of taking away from it. And uh, that that's what I think really fuels me now. I mean, I lost sight of it, and I and I'll, I'll openly admit that I was uh, that I, I I lost sight of the true reasoning behind why I decided to start creating content. And maybe I just didn't know, and it maybe it took me this long to figure it out. You know that initially it was that I was rebuilding the wolf in my backyard because I too was going through a divorce, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I had a lot of emotions that I was taught to uh, shove into my pocket because I'm an I'm a a man and I'm not allowed to have emotions, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, we eat those. And- we eat those. <laughs> You're right. We do eat those. That's right. And and we drink those, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah. And so I went through, you know, five years of trying to figure myself out. And still, I mean, I have yet to do that. But I think that like it showed me that when I did something like that, that there was somebody watching and somebody noticing. And um, hopefully there was some exchange there that was positive for all of us. And uh, so that, that that's kind of why I chose inspiration as being the theme for today's show, because 
you inspired me through the gifting of tools and, and, and showing me like, Hey, you inspired me and I appreciate you. Here you go. Use these tools, make something, do something with your shop space that you didn't do before. And we are just at the beginning. This is just kindergarten. We we're just <laughs> now beginning again. Right. Yep. So, well, and you've yeah. inspired me because, you know, you, you're, you're taking the tools that I had gathered for one purpose, using them for a totally different purpose, but it's along the same lines because of the, the knife making and the things that I was interested in. Um, in fact, I had had plans to make a two by 72. And when you started making them, I told my wife, I said, well, I can't make my own now. I said, I have to get one for Brian. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it, being able to being able to empty out some of my garage, but not have to just let things go to the wind and not know what happened to them or, you know, figure, find out that they got scrapped or something else, being able to see you using them. Um, you know, it's, it's actually pushed me to, to work harder towards getting myself clear of all the junk that's in my, my garage and get back to the point of, I really need to get it clean. I need to get it organized. I need to get stuff set up and I need to be able to get out there and start working with my hands again. Um, because I could tell my wife, you know, yeah. So what do do you have plans for that? Are you gonna, are you gonna, I mean, I know you said you were, you're working on your Mustang and you were thinking about doing some, some, uh, modifications to that. So like, tell me a little bit about that project and what you've, you know, you as a maker, Scott, as a maker, what, what do you see? I know you said you have ADHD when it comes to this stuff. So, and we've talked a lot about that in the, in the past about multi-potential lights and all that. So exactly. you tell me, where do you see yourself or, or do you now know yourself well enough to not comment about it and say, I don't know, I could end up like, you know, building roller coasters next year. Who knows? <laughs> uh, no, I'm still, I'm still an idiot. I'll still comment. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'll never pin myself down to anything, but I'll, I'll still comment. That's what my wife tells me all the time. She's like, you're all over the map. And I'm like, well, it just keeps people guessing. And then when I actually do something, they're like, oh, so he decided to do that. <laughs> But, um, no, when I, when I got into welding back in, you know, the nineties, I mean, I did it as a night school thing and started learning how to work on sheet metal and things like that and picked up the welder and the the teacher said, Hey, you got kind of a knack with that. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like this and being able to take a pile of metal and, you know, kind of look at it and figure something out and then put it together, weld it and make something new. You know, those, those were just the coolest things for me that, you know, I was actually making things that I was actually turning something into something else. So I still have that. Um, it was just, it's just as you get older and life kind of bears down on you with all of the things that you have to do. Um, I think, I think some of us, it's kind of like going from, you know, being a kid where, you know, you just pick up a crayon and a pen, a piece of paper and you draw the world, you know, it may not be the accurate world, but it's, it's your world. Um, I think some of us kind of lose that a little bit as we start to get older, you know, we start looking at things and, you know, when I was in my twenties, I could look at something and I could sit and kind of look at it and go, you know what? I could twist that, bend this, do that. And I I can make this out of it. I kind of, I kind of found myself lately not having that same inspiration. So I completely understand where you're coming from, where you get to like almost like a writer's block for creative for, you know, makers that you get to the point where you're like, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? If I look at a piece of wood or look at a piece of metal, do I get any ideas of what it could be besides what it is right now? And you, you kind of start getting a, a block going on. So for me, I just want to be able to get my garage cleaned up to the point where I can get back to actually getting out there and getting my hands on stuff. Because I think that's going to be the biggest thing is that if you've got a creative block, just start going and playing in the garage. Because eventually you're going to find something that needs to be fixed or something that could be made better. Or you go, hey, you know what? I'm getting tired of all these cans being all over the place. So let me make a shelf or a holder for these cans or whatever. And you'll just start doing stuff. 
And that's what my main problem is right now is trying to get back out there to get past the always constantly cleaning up or needing to design something to make a shelf or make this, but getting to the point where I can actually start getting out there and working. And I know that for me, there was two different ways of making knives. There's one that's forging and one that's stock removal. And, you know, I'm sure you'll have people write in and say, no, he's completely wrong. But for me, there was two different routes that you went. One was you need, you know, a forge and you, and you might need a, a power hammer and, you know, a forge press and all this different stuff to actually move metal. The other one, you're taking stock metal and you're, you're literally stock removal. So I'm probably going to be able to do stock removal. I think it's something that I can do with the HOA. That's not going to be like, you know, my neighbors are like, you know, getting letters sent to me every, every couple of days. Um, so I definitely want to get one of your grinders, um, and get set up over here and, I've got a couple old files that I found in some of my grandfather's stuff that I'm like holding back until I know I can actually work with the metal and make something decent um, that I'd like to turn into a couple knives because I, th I thought that would be really cool that they're his old files that I could actually take and make some into something that, you know, um, that I can actually use, but I can also make one that can kind of go up on the shelf, you know, that, that it was something that even though I, I didn't really get to know him because he, he passed when I was about four that it's something that he used and I use. So it's kind of a joint thing and, you know, in retrospect. Um, but yeah, I'm going to work on the Mustang. I'm going to get out in the garage and start doing some woodworking, some metalworking and just start, you know, get the welder back in the hand and just, you know, see, kind of see where it goes. I, I like what you said about taking, you know, something that you've had for a long time that's been in your family and then turning it into something else. I know that, that that's like a been a thing, you know, for a while, um, the guys over at art of the art of craftsmanship, Dustin and Devin, um, one of their most popular, uh, videos on their channel is them taking a file and creating a knife out of it. <laughs> because I think there's like all this, uh, confusion, you know, on what steel to use. And, you know, if you, everyone's got a file laying around, you know, some, some kind of old piece of equipment that they know is right. hardenable, they can turn it into something. Um, and that it means something to you and that you would have it and, uh, and know that that is a piece of your family history. Maybe it's not useful as a file anymore, but it's way more useful now as a knife. And that's something that you made and you pass it on to your kids. And I think that if you, it, like you said, take a minute and just start working on your space, you know, taking your garage and looking at it and going, you know what, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to make that happen and give yourself a time frame and all that. It, it definitely will happen. And um, I'm glad that you're going to build a, a revolution, man. That's awesome. And uh, you know, if, if, if you want something to change in your life, it sounds like to me, you have a plan to do that and to, to, you know, increase your engagement with whatever it is that you're working on. I find it like some people have that built into them and then some people don't, you know, some people just, they're cool with like, you know, just being, or, you know, watching YouTube, watching others do it, you know, and then that, and then right. later on, maybe they will be inspired, but guys like you and I, we get inspired and then we go out and do it and build the tools or make the tools or buy the tools, whatever it is to make it happen. And it may not make any sense. I, I, I think, uh, I, it was a comedian that said, you know, why would I buy that for $300 when I can buy $600 worth of tools to make that happen? You know, exactly. So, uh, I'm well, that guy I'm, that goes out and buys that $600 tool to make something else. 
Well, and I'm one of those guys that there's a tool for everything. If you look hard enough, it, there's a tool for everything. Now, if you if you can't find a tool or like you're saying, like, you know, it's a thousand dollar tool, then all of a sudden I'm starting to look around and going, all right, what do I have that I can put together that's that's going to do the same job, um, you know, and, and, and make, make something. It. Plus, well, and plus when you make when you make it, there's a special connection for you there, you know, whether you're creating something for yourself or a tool that you're going to use out in the garage constantly or if it's something you're going to give away, especially to somebody else, you know, there's, there's always that connection that it's handmade versus, you know, being store-bought, which is funny because it goes back to the whole car and truck, you know, thing with, you know, people, people used to talk about, you know, taking their vehicle to a shop and having it done and whether it was, you know, bought or, uh, or made, um, there was a huge argument over which was better. And, and, you know, I, th I think both, some people don't have mechanical skills. So, you know, they have to go to somebody else and say, Hey, I, you know, I really need you to do this. This is, this is what I see, but there's, there's inspiration to be found everywhere, you know? And if you're not a mechanical person and you want to watch the videos, that's great. You know? And if you see ideas, you know, try to replicate them. Yeah. And you might not be able to, but you know, use what you have and try to, you know, even, even small woodworking stuff, you know, for your house, just create something for the wall or whatever. Um, you know, we, we were actually talking about this, that back in 2012, my dad had a bobcat that the whole bottom of the cage had just rusted completely out. And he knew that I did, you know, welding and, and metal work and stuff. And he brought it to me and said, do you think you can you know do something with it? Cause they want like, I think it was like six grand for a brand new cage for it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, you know, I'll take a look at it see what I can do. And I found some inspiration at that point. And that was, that was right about the time I was starting to go through the divorce. I, I found a lot of inspiration in, in playing with that and the challenge of trying to recreate something that had been stamped out in a factory and put together there and that they don't even sell or do themselves in their shop. They, all they want to do is sell you a brand new cage. And I had a blast. I had a blast getting the plasma cutter that I had at the time, you know, RIP because of the divorce. Um, <laughs> but getting the welder out, getting the plasma cutter out, the torch out, and, you know, designing You could just this give thing her and, the torch and you could keep the machine itself. You know, you could split it right in half, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, vice versa. It, unfortunately, it had to go because I needed some money at the time. But, you know, it's one of those ah, things I'll I get see. I'll get again eventually. But it, it made it really handy for cutting out the, I think it was one eighth steel that I used. Um, and it made it really handy to cut it, slot it, and and do everything that I needed to do. But it was a great project, and I actually ended up getting my stepdad involved. Um, you know, it was for my dad's bobcat, but my stepdad got involved with me and helped me bend the metal and you know and heat it and bend it and do everything I needed to it. And it fit like a glove. My my dad got it back, and I had welded it all up, and he took and put it back on the machine. It fit like a glove, and I was really you know kind of blown away that I you know. I don't have any formal training. I, I took like one night school when I was, you know, in the nineties, you know, for metal work and body work and stuff. I worked at a rental company where I did a lot of fabrication and, you know, basically piecing stuff together when they were like, Hey, we got three machines, make one work. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I'm, I've always been a problem solver. I've always been hands on. I love tools. I've got a mechanical aptitude and you know, it's, it's, it's where I feel at home, you know, as being able to go out and work on something. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I found out that old uh, um, adage about, you know, time versus money, money versus time. So there are some things that I pay for now that I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to play with that right now. So I'll, I'll hire somebody to do it. Um, but for That's the most the part. the one thing about time. You, you'll never, people think they can find the time to do this stuff and, and they're not realistic about it. You know, right. you're like, okay, you want you want to do this. And, or, or they're not realistic about how much time you invest in something like as a knife maker, 
when someone mm-hmm. says like, I'll sell you this culinary knife for, you know, $300. And it's this beautiful piece that I know took them way more time. You know, they're making like $10 an hour, basically, you know, making these, these things. Right. People don't realize because we've been in a society where you can just buy a knife at Walmart and it'll cut the same, but it's not the same knife. It's not the same thing. The amount of man hours and the amount of equipment that goes into making a handmade knife is, is really a lot. And so, uh, I think a lot of people can empathize with that in, and in regards to like, even like welding, like I have a guy come over here, um, that's in my building here and he's like, Oh, you got one of those plasma cutters. I saw you have a plasma cutter on, uh, on your uh, YouTube channel. I need a custom, uh, mount for my, uh, for my Chevelle, uh, just, uh, come over real quick. I'm like, what do you mean? Come over real quick. He's like, no, just come over. So I go over to, he's got all these classic cars, you know? And, uh, <laughs> And I, and and he's showing me what he needs made, and it's not that difficult. But he wants me to fabricate it, and then he wants me to come over and weld it. He's like, "How much? How much for for that?" I'm like, "I don't know, a few hundred bucks." He's like, "Few hundred dollars? That's crazy!" Bob, I'm like, "Right." You're asking me to design something custom in CAD, then cut it out on my CNC plasma table. It costs five thousand dollars. Then come <laughs> over and weld it up for you, and you you can't pay me four hundred dollars for that. And he's like, "Well, you know, I could buy the part." I'm like, "All right, look." This isn't what I do. You're asking a guy that doesn't do this, you, you know, go to a custom fabricator. You know, well, they're going to be a lot more than you are. Well, yeah, you're right. There probably are. I mean, the custom <laughs> fabrication work is not cheap. No. And it's because I need to pay my time. You know, I have to have time invested in this, you know, but it, it's a, a relative thing. People don't fully understand. And uh, uh, I and used I to get, get it, it all the time. He's a good guy. So I'll probably end up doing it. Yeah. I used yeah. to get it all the time when I did oh, the sure. vehicle customs. You know, somebody would just want their cowl on their on the front of their truck shave, and that'd be like, you know, two hundred bucks, and it's going to be a couple of weeks. And they're like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, "Do you realize all the time I have to spend with, you know, making patch panels, ta- you know, tacking it in, making sure that I'm not warping and bending the metal, going back and doing the filler, you know, I've got I've got to do kitty hair, then I've got to do rage gold, then I've got to do polymer, then I got to, you know, it, there's a lot to it just to get it to the point where when I ship it back to you, it's ready to go for paint." You know, and they're like, well, you know, I'll probably get it cheaper. And I'm like, go ahead. See ya. Have, have fun with that. <laughs> and then they didn't have coming back. I saw to me a anyway. great meme on the Internet. Yeah, I saw a great meme on the Internet about that, where it was a it was a, a brick wall being laid. And there's two guys laying the brick. One guy on the right. He's got a nice pattern going, you know, beautiful brick, you know, up climbing up. And then the, his, the guy to his uh, right is is, you know, stacking the bricks all you know, crooked and, you know, the, the walls like half built, but it's just like, it looks like some, like a child built it. And it said, this is the guy who said he can get it cheaper somewhere else, you know? And it's just the truth. You know, it's like, people don't respect your time. And it's a totally normal thing. Like in every single industry I've ever worked in, people have no concept of the amount of cost of time. And, you know, the value, really what you got to do is you've got to educate your customer on value. I mean, that's just really all it amounts to. So when somebody approaches me about a knife or metalworking project, I just educate them because I can't expect them to know. There's just no way that they would have uh, an understanding. Like when I make a knife, I'm not the best knife maker. So it takes me a really long time to produce these. And I can't, I cannot, um, uh, you know, I can't sell you a knife for a hundred dollars. And even at a hundred, like some people are like a hundred dollars. Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, a hundred dollars is cheap for a custom knife, by the way. And, uh, you know, they have no concept. So you have to educate them. And, and that's right. Uh, 
you know, that's part of our job as makers. You know, our job is to to employ that, you know, beautiful diplomatic voice that says, you know, well, you know, the steel is high carbon steel and it was found in the mountains of, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan and and we've we've now had it shipped here and the wood, it's a handles stabilized cactus that was mined in the middle of, you know, some island off the coast of Portugal. And, the one and then thing, all of a sudden, you know, they're like, Oh, I see. Yeah. I think the one thing that everyone has to remember is if you're buying a Ford or a Chevy, you're buying a product. You're buying a product that was stamped out and put together. There's work, there's hours into it, there's people's paychecks, and there's design work and stuff into it too. But, you know, for the most part, you're buying a product. When you go to somebody that's a maker or you're buying a specialized knife or a specialized whatever it is, you're paying for that person's abilities and experience. You're not paying for that product. You're paying for the abilities and the experience. And all the time, uh, this is the this is the the best way somebody put this to me. When I first started working in technology, I worked with this older guy. His name was John Anderson. He was super super cool guy. Uh, probably I w- he was probably in his late fifties, early sixties when I worked with him twenty years ago. So I don't know where he's at now, but um, uh, he was one of these guys like us. This guy was like mid fifties, never been married, was a total like gearhead tech guy could weld anything could could make anything drove a lotus kit car from like the 80s right i mean this guy was like super cool uh but he was an electronics genius as well taught me how to use an oscilloscope and all kinds of stuff and if i if any anybody can if i could attribute my success to one person um technically it would be john and so um in the at the tv station something would break and you know, my head immediately, because I'm young, go, I would just go, okay, well, we got to replace it. And he'd go, no, no, no. You know, and we would, we'd have to fix it. So, um, you know, we'd remove capacitors from boards and, you know, ribbon cables, the whole thing. And uh, he said, he tells this story about going out to fix somebody's television. And I don't know if it's his story or if, he, you know, he's regurgitated it, but he said uh, he would, you know, somebody got a call just to have a technician come out to their house and fix their television. This is back in the day. I don't know if you remember these big, uh, projector TVs that had the big three green, like it was three big rings on the front of them and they would project red, blue, and green and it would combine yep. up and make the TV. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. So uh, the person had one of those and and the, the, the picture was all screwed up on the wall. It was like kind of like dual, double vision, if you can imagine. And uh, so he goes out and he takes a look at it. He pops the cover off of it and he takes a screwdriver. He looks down in there and he puts his... He puts his screwdriver down in there and he turns a screw like a quarter of a turn and bang, everything comes up in alignment. The screen is crystal clear, beautiful picture again, hands the lady a bill for a hundred bucks. She goes, a hundred dollars. You were here for five minutes and all you did was turn a screw a quarter of a turn. And he said, you know what? You're right. But I knew which screw to turn. (laughs) <laughs> and so anytime somebody tries to devalue your your expertise or your time, just let them know that you're not paying for the amount of time that I was with you. You're paying right. for the amount of years that was behind me that brought me to this particular place. And if, you know, 
I can waste your time. You know, and here's here's what's funny. In my computer shop, when the guys get a machine in and we check it into the the shop, and there, you know, sometimes the 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 fixes are pretty simple. You know, it's it's like pull a battery out, reset something. You know, it's good to go. I've trained my technicians not to call the customer right away. You know why? Because if you do, they'll give you that same shit that that customer. Oh, you only <laughs> had it for thirty minutes. You can charge me full price. Blah blah blah. Yeah, but we knew what to do. This is the whole point. So I tell the guys, look, two hours on every ticket. Just, you know, check it in, do the work, make it right, fix it. But if you get, if you're under that two hour thing, wait a couple of hours, call them, and then tell them it's ready because it's perceived value. You know, right. they, they, people somehow equate time with value, which I don't, you know, if you've ever worked in the service based industry, you know, like it's not the same. They don't equate, you know, or, or in repair or troubleshooting or whatever. So, uh, you know, so yeah, I train my guys not to call people because they go, oh, you only had it for 15 minutes. You're going to charge me full price. It's not, it doesn't work like that. We're not mechanics. It's, you know, it's, you're paying for all that expertise. But, uh, but anyway, I wanted to tell you that I appreciate you, Scott. Thanks for hanging out on the show today. Uh, today's show brought to you by the Makery Network. And sponsored now by Isotunes. So if uh, you've ever heard of the, the term Isotunes, they make great um, isolating headphones that you can put in your ears, wear like big cups over your head, and uh, you can listen through, via Bluetooth, via the magic of technology. You can listen to me talk to you while you do your work in your shop. So head on over to Isotunes and you can get them on Amazon. You can get them on their website, uh, and you can you can uh, you know sign up for the little newsletter they got going on. You get a ten percent off. Um, they have a really cool thing coming out um, in the near future, which I signed up for because they sent me these headphones, which are these. If you can imagine, they're like um, they they're like AirPods, and they fit in my ears, but they protect my ears at the same time from outside noise. And they allow me to listen to podcasts and music and all kinds of stuff. But they now have this new thing called the, I like, for some reason, I feel more comfortable with the the big cups over my ears. So I wear those. And uh, I was so impressed with these little earbuds that they, they sent me uh, called the uh, uh, Isotunes, uh, Isotunes Free is what they're called because they're independent. So they're just little things that fit in your ears. I was so impressed with those. I went into their website and I bought my own set of Isotunes Link, which is the the big cups that fit over the years. So uh, do us a favor. If you've enjoyed uh, what you've heard here and you could use some new PPE, head over on uh, Google Isotunes. I can't ever remember what they're. I think it, it's uh, Isotunes.com. But let me just real quick on my 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 computer here isotunes yeah it's isotunes.com so head over to isotunes.com and in the sh in the notes when you purchase because there's a little spot there for a referral you, you let them know that you heard brian on the work for it podcast tell you that you needed a set of the best headphones in the ppp ppe industry and that you heard us on the makery network scott any final words of wisdom on inspiration that you want to hand off? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Secondly, thank you for taking such good care of the equipment. Third, always remember that inspiration is all around you. You just have to look for it. And fourth, 
I don't mind plugging myself. So if anybody's looking for real estate up in Tampa, I'm a realtor. <laughs> yes, but no, that's it, right. We never even got to your actual current career, which is that you, yeah, you do real estate. Yeah, and I, and I'm and I'm enjoying it. It's it's nice. You know, one of the one of the biggest things that I I would takeaway that I would tell people is you know if you have something you really like doing, think really long and hard on whether that's what you want to do for a living. Um, I know that the old saying is, if you love what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. But I know personally from, you know, taking things that I had as hobbies or things that I like to do and turning them into jobs, um, it also gives you a new appreciation and understanding of it. And in some ways it kind of dulls it down. At least it did for me. Um, you know, like I said, where I, where I went from having fun doing people's vehicles to all of a sudden having you know, people, you know, breathing down my neck on timelines and stuff. So, you know, doing, doing the real estate thing is really cool. Um, I really enjoy it. I enjoy helping people. Um, I had 10 years in the construction industry in various different uh, ways. So it's, it's pretty cool to be able to walk into houses and kind of know what I'm looking at and be able to help people, you know, look for that dream home um, that, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big purchase. So you want to make sure that you're dealing with the right person that's, you know, got your back and looking out for you and not just trying to push you into something. So, but it also, you know, it pays the bills and it allows me to be able to, uh, you know, still do the, the making uh, of things on the side and actually enjoy it. Yeah. I think representation is really important when buying real estate. I, you know, we've, we've talked about that in the past. I used to flip houses and we always had to have good representation. I mean, just the way it is and, and, uh, the right realtor makes the, the that whole difference. So, uh, yeah, search out Scott Wilkerson. He's on Instagram. I'll tag him in the, uh, the show notes too. Scott Wilkerson real estate, right? Is it your IG handle or real? I, th- I think is it's, it? yeah, I think it's realtor. Yeah. Scott Wilkerson realtor. Yeah. So I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I'll, on I'll tag Instagram. It. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, and find him and connect with him uh, on any of those social media platforms. Scott, thanks so much for hanging out today. Uh, and we are going to end the show right here, everybody. I hope you're having an awesome week in your workshop and studios and getting a lot done. As always, you can find me on Instagram at house underscore underscore work, or you can go to the work for it dot podcast Instagram channel and you can, uh, you know, tag us there. And if you've got a question or you want us to answer it, I've got to say, by the way, that in the last few episodes, I haven't been able to answer these questions. I know I've reached out and said, hey, you know, send us uh, these questions. And we got so many good ones. Um, I just need to sit down and compile them and then actually, you know, uh, do the work of uh, answering them for you. So uh, I do appreciate your patience on that. And thanks so much for listening to the Work For It podcast. My name is Brian House, and I hope you have a great week. See you guys. See you guys later. See ya. See ya. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.